welcome to another episode of the podcast surprise super super excited to be here with voleth mikal and blood of aziz my co-host today guys what's going on pretty good i'm proud yeah, of us there. <laughs> yeah it, it was really fun watching again I, I liked it a lot more the second time through i know i've talked about it before but having completed it now i can confirm that that held true perhaps even more so and i think if you watch something twice and it gets better on the second watch maybe there's some things critical in there but generally that's a really good sign you know rewatchability <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. I mean, there were certain things that I was like, oh, uh, I have to baby die again. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fun. Um, <laughs> this is like the dead baby show. But um, yeah, no, I really, I really did enjoy it. Yaskier was exquisite. And definitely there's some things that I was like, I didn't think that made sense. And I'm pretty sure it does not actually make sense. But uh, yeah, overall, really good. And I'm, I, I feel the hype like launching us into season three whenever, whenever that will be. Talking about the boogie <laughs> of the Witcher season, two. <laughs> the Bobby <Grandma>. Yaga, <laughs> the Bobby Yaga has been thrown out there quite a bit because you know the folklore. What do you guys think about that? The Volethmir title did that give away quite a bit for you guys? <laughs> it it didn't really because I yeah I just I mean certainly the first time I watched it I was just kind of going through it I wasn't necessarily like noting all the things and i tried not to look too far ahead at like the other episodes but yeah i mean it 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 definitely are like <laughs> psych we're the villain is in episode seven <laughs> actually the final minutes yeah it's seven. like the name it sounds cool and the translation is cool but that's it doesn't really tell you that much other than a mother it's feminine yeah. but <laughs> like having the name of some villain i don't know it doesn't really tell you that much about them like it's if you're watching star wars some sort of star wars and they're like i don't know darth evil you know you're like oh darth you know okay so he's darth <laughs> i get it you know? <laughs> but it doesn't tell you that much right yeah i mean i don't know like if you if you really know Baba Yaga lore, like it, it might have been a bigger mm. tip off because I, I did actually read something recently, a book where they referenced Baba Yaga and they, they did have the same like, it wasn't Deathless Mother, it was like Deathless something. Mm. So I feel like maybe that is a word associated with her based on very little evidence. But I yeah, so maybe but I, I didn't get it until the house stood up on chicken legs. And then maybe like, it's like uh, Deathless. Speaking house has no it's, door. It's, it's supposed to be Deathless Smother. That's the kind of translation error I could see creeping in there. You know, it's a pronunciation issue. <laughs> so yeah, impressions of the episode because we talked about the, the season starting off. We were super excited. Obviously, getting a short story episode we weren't sure sure how much or we were going to be getting that of the in the season in uh the middle of the season in our last episode of the podcast we talked about how strong the middle of the season was like really setting up these kind of big pivot points for not only the end of this season but season three for these bigger plot lines that are going to continue to push this show forward and then at the end we got some pretty explosive stuff like we got some big confrontations and in this episode was like there was some pretty heavy stuff in here so what was your overall impressions of the episode guys <laughs> all right well yeah, i liked it a lot i thought it was uh i agree with imdb which has it rated as the third highest episode of the season i wouldn't necessarily put it third i haven't thought about it like that but it was good i, I like the, the setup for the final episode i thought it had a, a lot of really good lines and it was strong with its dealing with the conflict that deathless mother had set up 
The one thing that got me thinking, and I'll cover a little more in the final episode, is just I think Deathless Mother is a really good villain in terms of the way she operates, and and it's it's a lot more compelling than just a monster or something that's deadly and a killer, right? That that's that's got its own level of sinister. But this is someone that turns people on each other and has these long-term plans to create huge amounts of pain and suffering to to harvest for her own energy. And that's just, that is dark, but it's also pretty imaginative. I like that. So I, I started to appreciate that more because the first time through, it was just like, who the hell is this? What are they doing? I don't get it. But now I'm like, yeah, that's pretty cool. She's really, really intense and, and brings out the emotional conflict within characters, which is more interesting than hack and slash stuff, right? And this show has a lot of both. So it's, it's pretty cool. I like that. There's a word that comes to mind from what you said, malice. She has quite a bit of yeah. malice in her, as opposed to just like brute forcing and being some like huge hulking enemy. And th- there's something more calculating about her plans, like you said, this long game that she was playing, because... He wanted to take over the body of Siri. That's a pretty big yeah. friggin' deal. I mean, Siri's quite young, so huge hulking enemies don't good. really give <laughs> Witchers much problem anyway, right? That's they're they're really yeah. good at dealing mm. with that. This other stuff is like, ooh, that's when they get. <laughs> but these witchy bitches, damn. Yeah, I know. I like the episode. I th- I do personally feel like for me, it probably peaked in five and six that we covered last time. But I I do really like this episode, and I like a lot of the. The choices that are made, a lot of the the execution of plans, a lot of them being Volthmir's. Yeah, her seeing her her plots kind of come together, especially with her like three pieces on the game board with Yennefer and Francesca and Pangilla was really was really interesting. Very sad, very <laughs> intense. Obviously, Yaskir's back, so I'm good. And he's not only back; he's back with Geralt. So everything <laughs> is fine. <laughs> it's like all good. <laughs> there are some good lines from him here again. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's quite a few strong tandems in this episode, I find. So let's jump into one of them. Let's uh, jump into Yennefer and Siri. Yeah. So it's funny that we just talked about Yaskir and all his great funny lines, because this scene is not funny. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Zola and Yurga. Damn it. Like, remember when in the books we we got to have plausible deniability? We got to have some level of denying that this happened. Like, we know it did, but we were able to be like, maybe it didn't. It's pretty, yeah, they see the dead body, like, there's no way around it this time. <laughs> like, that, damn it. <laughs> they, poor, helpful family murdered by Rience. There's really no way around it, yeah. It's so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> and, and, and Siri obviously feels terrible for it because she feels personally responsible. Because she, she knows that people are tracking her, and she is in a pretty tight situation. And those people were genuinely caring for her. They saw someone who was pretty young and in a pretty bad situation. And they, well, they genuinely wanted to help her, and she felt genuinely pretty awful about that. So that was these are these are two common people that had no interest in the interest of politics or kind of the end game stuff that's going on. And it just also ramps up the like the degree of to which Syria is dangerous Mm. because it's like you don't just have to have helped her with politics or whatever or known who she was you just have to like have been in her proximity enough to be fractionally useful to somebody who wants her and then your your life and your whole Mm. family is in danger so it's like really I I think we're 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 amping up the level of Syria's unintended destructiveness and i think that'll be an interesting yeah she has to react to a lot of things until she's learned to train which is obviously something that comes up 
at the very end of the season is a, is a plan to help her continue training, which is vital. Because as you see here, she's just kind of lashing out and her powers just have unintended results, which we which is a theme we've been seeing ever since Pavetta blew up the banquet, right? <laughs> her mom did that, yeah. But it's really interesting and compelling that when in this moment of, of need, she used her powers and she took herself to a place where she felt safe, which was that farmhouse where she had refuge for quite a while and was able to recover. So that's, I find that's a really strong, like emotional beat there. And, and Yennefer figures it out and says it out loud so that it's clear for the audience, <laughs> which was good. Well, there, there is a sense of history repeating itself throughout the story multiple times throughout The Witcher, obviously, and Stregobor is, not, not that I like Stregobor, but he's worried that, you know, history is going to repeat itself in a bad way. And some people kind of had that idea about Siri that, you know, history could repeat itself in a bad way and yeah. she could be the one to create. Yeah, endless destruction. So it's going to be really interesting. So we see part of Deathless Mother's plan here, which is that Yennefer is necessary because of her connection. She has two facets that make her very useful, uniquely useful. One is her, she's already connected to the target. She's already connected to Ciri and the people that protect her prior relationship. Two, she has something that she's lost that she really wants back. She's lost her magic. And there's really no one else in the world like that. Not at all. There's nobody that's, had this level of power and knows what it's like to lose it. Like most people just don't ever have Yennefer's level of magic, even a lot of other sorcerers. <laughs> but to lose it is just such a huge, like it's, it's a massive blow. She's suffering so much. And that's, of course, what Deathless Mother keys in on. And it's a big part of the plot. Yeah, and it's almost too easy. You know, she doesn't even have to play it the other way. Like all she has to do is, I'm not leaving your side. If anything were to happen to you, Geralt will never forgive me. This is all true. Yeah. You know, like, and, and and she's just doing it at this point for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it is really sad because, you know, in the books, like that their, their relationship grows in trust from kind of a, a, a temperamental place and a, and a place of dislike. <laughs> and then they kind of settle into each other and find their, bond and they like they bond quite quickly here over Geralt and I think that's part of their their plot that we'll see in, in a few scenes but yeah it's it's all kind of for the bad for the, the wrong purpose and it's yeah. well, like the crazy crazy thing about it is Yennefer knows how wrong this is and she does it anyways and she knows how pissed Geralt is going to end up being about it and she still does it because she feels so helpless without her magic right that's the one thing that like truly gave her a purpose she feels because she had a, such a tough situation we, we we saw her her beginnings like she wasn't loved by her family, you know? So it's, it, it is a really interesting di- situation to watch. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I feel like you could read Yennefer in a bunch of different ways through this because a lot of what she does is, I want to teach you. I don't want to hurt you to hurt yourself. And, and that seems genuine. And it kind of can be for either good reasons, like she genuinely, even if she's leading Siri toward a, something, she can kind of pretend to herself that she'll be fine. Like, Volfmir doesn't need her for anything that bad or she can be like i don't want you to hurt yourself so that i i can sacrifice you to and <laughs> she's like and saying that's that. right bring her like her voice she's watching like she's got like a, a spy cam on yennefer the whole time yeah do it yeah she has it. excellent surveillance i must say yeah, yeah. excellent and seemingly unlimited surveillance <laughs> yeah she's yeah she exists in some other plane partially she's got weird perceptional abilities yeah who knows <laughs> plus the ability apparently to impregnate an elf who can't get pregnant i don't know how that part works but well, she I is think part she was already pregnant i think she... in a because oh. she's she she says like she's been pregnant before but none came to oh. her, so I, th- I think she I somehow think she... 
helped make sure the baby survived only to yeah because she knew what the long term would be also she's an elf i mean she is an elf herself don't both mirror so she knows a little bit about physiology it's it's, it's interesting that we're talking about yennefer's actions because this episode has a common thread through it. we see people backed into corners and them kind of making decisions yeah. we see Obviously, the same thing yeah, with yeah, Fringilla, yeah. right? I gotta kind of act here too. But it is interesting that that thread goes through. Yeah. There's, whole there's a great line. He's the father I never had. When I'm with him, I don't feel alone, and it's a pretty big deal, huh? Yeah, and and then it, it's followed with "You love him too," which is it's <laughs> like every, everybody's kind of sharing their feelings about everybody else in this episode. It's, it it is really sad. I mean, honestly, like I could have, I could have. Again, used a little more subtlety, maybe, because people are very much just, like, stating their feelings. But, I mean, I get it. Like, they think it, uh, or at least Siri thinks that Geralt is in deadly danger and all her emotions are coming <laughs> to the surface. So there's the the bridge jumping, bridge teleporting scene, which is pretty important as a setup for Yennefer being her teacher and teaching her to, you know, control her. And it's also just showing how Siri gets frustrated because of all this compounded trauma and, and flight she's been through. So it's a pretty, I, I like the way that scene played out because it, it, it gets to the core of what these characters are dealing with in a simple behavioral moment. And, and, and then it works. And it's a genuine, Jennifer is like, oh yeah, like, well done. There is a little bit of that respect that you're talking about in the books, McCall, where when Siri starts to get things right, even Yennefer still kind of teases her, but there's us, there's the grudging respect along with it. You can see it like, <laughs> like the tough love, right? The same kind of tough love she gets from the witchers, but Yennefer's brand of it, which is pretty unique in, in its own way. <laughs> yeah, and it also kind of suggests that a series magic doesn't always follow the rules. We've seen her make portals, but a lot of the time, her magic is just going to manifest in very strange and un- unpredictable ways. So I think that's a good thing to plant here. I think Yennefer is curious, but also impressed. Yeah. Like, it's that like, kind of trope that you see in a lot of different recurring stories where the student is shows more power than the master. So the student is going to surma- surpass the master. Except here, of course, it's no one's even doubting that at any point, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, we all know she's yeah. way more powerful than anybody. So that's not even like a question. Even Yennefer knows that. But it's still, it's, so it's kind of a, a spin on that, that theme. She wounded yeah. the earth. <laughs> Yennefer, you did the that earth. when she sees the, the, the broken mind. She's like, what happened to the model? I broke it. She's like, you did that? Westred <laughs> <laughs> like, was just as impressed. Carol was as impressed. Like, yeah, every magic associated person is was like, whoa. <laughs> like all the people who know, do magic for a living are like, oh my God. <laughs> who else could do that? No. <laughs> yeah, like, well, no one I've ever seen before. So well, like this is completely <laughs> uncharted territory. <laughs> but then Siri like figures out what what happened. She she gets it and that, of course, drives Siri away. She, there's this great line, this door must not be opened. You know that. Yet you are leading me there anyway. She just calls Yennefer out, basically, on what Yennefer realizes kind of subconsciously or consciously it's unclear that, she, yeah, you're doing something pretty evil here. <laughs> yes, you've been pushed into it, but it, you need to snap out of it or something. Oh, sorry, I did the reance there. Not that kind of snap. <laughs> snap into it, yeah. And that leads to the soldiers coming out and all that because it actually cracks the city walls. <laughs> so I think that I think we had a question a couple of episodes ago about whether this was actually the Centrin capital, and I think it is. 
if this is the yeah, monolith that, yeah she toppled yeah it has to be yeah they've clearly done a lot of rebuilding now That's now, fine. Uh, mm-hmm. now now reshuffled around by Nilfgaard yeah so yeah yeah Yennefer kind of does back up her words a bit even though she she tries to stop dudes on swords with horses on swords with horses <laughs> on horses with swords <laughs> with a stick right I thought that was a very interesting moment because Yennefer kind of is taking the coward's route here for a lot of this. And I think, I think that's some of what she's struggling with, but I think that, yeah, I mean, and, and to be honest, her switch is like a little, I could have used a little more time there, maybe in conversation with Siri, but like just seeing her be like, Oh no, I made a mistake and I am backing the fuck away from that mistake. And I'm going to like, you know, really, really regretting it and, and putting herself in physical danger because I mean, she has no chance against a bunch of soldiers with a stick. Like she, she, (laughs) she doesn't have any chance and she doesn't know that Geralt's on his way. So yeah, I thought that was a a very brave moment on her part, even if I understand from Geralt and Ciri's perspective, it's a little too little too late. Very jarring to see Geralt's sword at her neck. You get it, but it's, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> it's a profound kind image, a... I think, because it's also something that comes up in the books is is the way the love between, and, and I mean, we've dealt with it before because obviously they've, they've fought each other you know, previously, but it, it's their love can can turn to hate very powerfully. I, th- I think it was appropriate, though. Like, Geralt needed to show her how seriously bad, like, how seriously bad what she did was. Like, that was, wow, why did I, what did I just say? How seriously bad what she did was. Mm. That's some really bad English, everyone. <laughs> That's a blooper <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> but what she did was really bad, okay? Yeah. And I, I, I don't think Geralt had the intent of killing her, but, I mean, he was pretty pissed I, off. I think there, I think there was something in his eyes that I was like, I don't think he was, like, planning on slicing her neck off, but there was something in his eyes that I, I was like, he could he could just move his wrists and, and not necessarily regret this. I, th- I think he would have if he didn't know that he needed her to... Uh, if she was... She said the wrong thing there yeah. or something. Like, if she didn't... Yeah, if she, like, enraged him further or was... He may not have been able to hold back. Yeah. I totally agree and with she, you And she's yeah. not acting like magic Yennefer or Yennefer with her magic, I feel like, would be a lot more chill. Even if she was on the end of somebody's sword like that, she was. She stays very still. She's not. She's not doing anything. This was a very paternal moment too. Like Geralt being Ciri's father. Yeah. Hey, I am the dominant one here, Yen. I'm sorry, but this is how it is. And he needed to teach her a lesson in that moment. He really did. Yeah. The next scene we have to talk about, given that a relationship that really functions on trust, and here we have one that is. <laughs> yeah, not so much. <laughs> One person we, we in been, this relationship thinks it's built up partially on trust. <laughs> we've been talking about this relationship quite a bit, teasing kind of some of the future moments and that there is some possible tension there. And then we see this. <laughs> to say it in Vilgefort, it's pillow talk. Yeah, it's like, it's another thing that the second time through when you're much clearer on where people's loyalties are, you, you don't necessarily feel better for Tissaia or, uh, you know, feel great about Tissaia because of how the season ends. But you definitely don't, I mean, you never feel good about Vilgefort. It's like, this guy's clearly worse. (laughs) But yeah, he's so manipulative and it's more clear, at least to me, the second time through, everything he's doing is just about making sure she tells him everything there is to know. And then that just immediately happens. Like she talks about, she's, she's broken her trust with Triss and then... 
kind of frustratingly deflects the blame onto Vilgefortz or saying it's too important. Triss had good reason to be mad at Tisea, but Tisea doesn't even take responsibility for breaking that trust. And yeah. Vilgefortz <laughs> is a little bit more clear with his intention here, right? Like he was playing more politics earlier in the season and he's he's more emotional here. Like you can see he's getting more agitated and things are going on. So I, it's becoming more clear, like just by his actions, right? Because he was playing the game a little bit earlier in the season. Yeah, we start to figure out what happens when things are seriously getting between him and his plans. And it's, I feel like this is probably just, I, this is probably the nicest version of that. Just him yelling. But yeah, I, it's tough with Tissaia, right? Because Tissaia is, don't worry, I'll let you betray Triss. I just want to do it nicely first, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, like, it's complicated because Triss's trust of her is so profound and, like, almost childlike. And there, there's, yeah. I feel like, a sense that, like, Vilgefort's not, obviously, he shouldn't know what she's saying. She doesn't want him to know that. But he, he has no place in this relationship. So, like, him inserting himself is kind of, like, even worse than just, like, a normal mm-hmm. jackass. Tell me what yeah. you know, I need to know. It's, he, he, it's almost like he thinks he has a claim to her because to say it has a connection to her. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, well, she tells me everything. Like, we're we're one. Yeah, such a skeevy thing to say or to imply or to believe. And, of course, it's yeah, as we know, it's all about getting to Siri. He, that's clearly what he wants. He's pushed it so hard. His normal, calm demeanor, which we've seen him keep up just a bit in every situation, just completely drops. First, he gets really mad. Then he, and it's, there's a lot of clear impatience in there. And then he calms down his voice, but he's still right up in her face and his body language is very aggressive it's a really well acted scene like the it's really well done in terms of things like body language and and inflection and the amount of barely contained rage that he's projecting there and he guilts her into he's so so important yeah it's really well done as as bad as (laughs) as bad as it is it's really good right and and i also love the framing of the two moments like you have tris and tis are on the balcony and it's this nice light breezy like ah we're out on the balcony talking about old memories and then it then it turns right (laughs) it goes back to politics really fast and, and ambition and games and all that Estesia has been giving and giving and you know what's that what's that saying uh, give an inch but take a mile that's what Vilgefortz is doing and he's creating a wedge in her relationships too and it's crazy because Vilgefortz is like the new boyfriend and and, and Tristan Tissaia have had this long-lasting relationship, and she's making these decisions that are putting those relationships... Like, Vilgefortz knows what he's doing, you know what I mean? So he's wedging himself in there, and he's getting more and more power, and there's less and less for <laughs> for, for, for Tissaia to really get. That's pretty sad, yeah. actually. Well, I mean, what he's trying to do is make uh, Tissaia his puppet Tissaia, and, yeah. and con- control everything through her, and, and part of his frust- frustration, I think, comes from her, at this point at least, refusing to do that, so... <laughs> How about this line? He says, if she's this powerful, she can end all war unless she falls into the wrong hands. Yeah, like yours, maybe. <laughs> yeah, he's posing himself as like the great like liberal hero with like good intentions for all. And it's yeah. just such bullshit. And yeah. <laughs> any, any type of uh, megalomaniac or narcissist, this is the co- common type of deflecting that we see. It's like that projection. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, oh, okay. Yeah, all right. Like, you're just, this is the answer. He's like, my, like the little, my little infractions mean nothing compared to the greater good. That kind of guy that, like, that just keeps, keeps using that excuse of everything I do is for this greater goal that we all share, you know? Yeah. And most of the villains <laughs> How are you in the series on function that, like you know? that, actually. Like, most of the, 
yeah. the intellectual villains. And I, I think it kind of increases in horror. Like, we've seen Stregobor, and now we've seen Vilgefortz, and we're gonna see more people who do more stuff like that based on logic that is extremely flawed. And that's well, a big part of yeah. politics. Real world, fake world, all that. Putting Being on the right side of blame or putting the blame on other people or just assigning blame or that's, a, that's just a big part of the whole ball of wax that comes with politics. And yes, yeah, so Vilgefortz is quite good at it. And I, I do appreciate the way that's portrayed in general throughout this season is that that is, that's the core of a lot of what happens in politics. Is just blame <laughs> he's smelling his own, <laughs> he's smelling his own bullshit and saying it smells like, smells like roses. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel bad. Like the actor's great, but he's, he's definitely firmly in that category of, I see you. I hate you. He's so smooth and handsome. You're like, something's gotta be wrong yeah, with this yeah. guy. Right. Mm. And it's, Oh, actually quite a lot is wrong with this guy. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit of some of the other factors, uh, Artorias and uh, and Dijkstra. Yeah, the council's in- really interesting. We see Stregobor continuing his uh, anti-Elven screed. He says he's tilted by this child being born. He's, look, it's what I said. It's born from a mage. Now, that is interesting that they had a child that has survived and was born from a mage. That is noteworthy for sure. But it isn't like an omen of doom, like Stregobor says. And and Artorias kind of agrees with him that it's a beacon that their enemies are aligned with them, right? He says it's 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 bad. Now, later <laughs> we're going to find out that Frangilla, when Frangilla comes to talk to him, he's going to realize he was wrong that the Elven birth helped them, not hurt them. So to say he's going to say, oh, to say it was right. So that's one part of this. I think there's a lot to say about the Artorias and Frangilla stuff, but like part of what I really think is is a very strong piece of writing in in the season is Frangilla and Francesca's arc and how that plays and phrase as the plot goes on. And, yeah. and at this stage, I, I really appreciate things where one thing can happen and that thing is just an objective fact. Like these people had a baby. And then for some people, that means absolute disaster. Like for Nilfgaard and Frangilla because of that. And for other people, like the council, who you're not, yay, I'm glad this is good for you, it actually turns out to be a good thing. But on the other hand, you're like, when we see Francesca and Philavandrel being, there are too many Fs in this story, oh my god. I'm almost glad she got off, just because, like, we, too many, oh my god. Um, Oh my god, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Um, Take it back, I take it back. But when you see them, and they're like, oh, we have something to live for now, and it's, oh, that's great, I'm sorry for Frangilla, but I feel good for them. I really like how this one fact can kind of play out in a lot of different ways and the things that it causes people to do have really profound and dramatic consequences. I'll talk I'll talk more about why I love what Fringilla does in, later on, but yeah, I, I, I really appreciate this particular plot. As soon as Kay here gets there, I'm like, yeah, this isn't going to go well. <laughs> I'm like, okay, it's going to go a lot worse. He's than like a vampire in the corner. He's like, oh, are you feeling happy? Let me drain that away right now. <laughs> He's an energy vampire <laughs> yeah, he for Fringilla. Energy right? vampire. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, so, yeah, I really appreciate this stuff, too, because it's also, because behind all this, you have the Deathless Mother that is engineering it because she can see how this conflict is going to play out, kind of like Rienz does at the end of Season 8, where he's talking, he kind of lays out all the factions and what they're doing and how it's kind of straightforward at this point, like, what's, what's going to happen? Maybe not the details, but the basics of who's going to fight who, and that's exactly what Deathless Mother wanted. She engineered a lot of this, and it's just, it's pretty clever, it's pretty intelligent, so again, good villainy on multiple layers of it and and that's cool there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting dynamics and uh, yeah we kind of know where this goes yeah Dijkstra shows up too right so he's he to say uh, accuses him of having an ulterior motive distracting them which is true not wrong <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, which is like yeah she's not wrong but there is more to it than that well that, and... that word is a big clue also because we haven't talked about it yet the scene before this is when poor Lydia gets her face melted and she's she's talking about her unnamed master and she's it's all about the theatrics, the distraction. And then to say as thank you for coming here with this distracting information about the baby. And it's like a bit of a red herring actually, but it is like a very well, I guess it's not depending on who's in the scene and who who is maybe really doing the distraction versus who looks like they're doing the distraction. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And and Dijkstra's response is interesting. He he points out that he was aware that that Triss was up north. Seems to imply he knew she was in Care Morin, which we know how she would he would know that, which would be through Jaskier, <laughs> which is not great. But there, that's more of a season three plot, given how, <laughs> given the last thing Dijkstra says in the season. So we'll come back to that for in the next episode. But yeah, there, that's that's a pretty big deal. There's a lot of these little setups, little seeds being planted. It's really neat how so many things connect at the end, like different things that weren't connected actually are revealed to have been connected the whole time. It's not just about revealing who these identities of characters are. It's also revealing what they've been doing and how these things connect and intertwine in pretty compelling ways. So <laughs> It's funny because just kind of like an inside look into the podcast, we always usually have a call a few days before we go live. And I think 75% of our conversation was talking about this, like all these things that are connected <laughs> yeah. now to season three and these things that we're excited for that we're excited for payoffs because a lot of these things are getting set up. And we do get some payoff, uh, some pretty big ones, but there's a lot, a lot, a lot of payoff in yeah. next season. So <laughs> we're pretty getting pretty excited that we're going to be getting some big moments coming up. Now, we are sponsored by Manscaped. Here comes Nat, everyone. Uh, Manscaped is sponsoring the podcast, and I've been using it. As you can see, my beautiful beard. I love to trim my beard. And like uh, me and Aziz said, we wouldn't be using their products if we didn't like them. So, And actually, wearing their comfy boxers as well. So, yeah, we're sponsored by Manscaped. You know what? It's funny you mentioned the boxers because I had that moment that comes up that everyone's had this in their life. You're going to do laundry, and you have this choice where you're like, one pair of underwear is not getting washed because I got to wear it, you know? <laughs> one, there's got to be one volunteer from the underwear uh, roster that doesn't get washed because you got to do your laundry. I found I had my, my Manscaped boxers that they sent. So I was like, oh, yes, uh, new, something new. And you're right. They're nice. They're really nice. And also, it's good to have now it's been a few weeks. So I've got to have a little long-term experience gotten to use it multiple times and that really has worked out it's a much cleaner and closer shave than the razor i had before and that's a great thing they really are it really is what it says it is the deal is really good 20 percent off free shipping with the code surprise at manscaped.com that's international shipping so 
that's yeah, nothing to Link sneeze at. Link is in at. the description of the video, but I will copy and paste it here in the chat. Manscaped 20% off surprise. S-U-R-P-R-I-S-E. Yeah. And uh, yeah. That's the lawnmower 4.0 we were talking about. McCall's going to give hers away as a gift. Hey, that's a great gift. Someone's going to get <laughs> lucky with that I gift, feel like that's you know, a gift so. with the <laughs> associations to she's gonna it. Make, like... She's going to make someone very happy. <laughs> Arturius and Fringilla, this scene is really good when she teleports in and they have their chat. And gosh, Arturius is just so demeaning to her and just talks down to her so much. And it's not, uh, <laughs> it doesn't go well for him. It definitely seems to spur her to greater heights of, all right, then I'm going to have to go this alone then i'm not working with you jackass <laughs> it's really sad because she comes off that scene with francesca and philavandrel cradling the baby and like talking about peace and francesca being like we're friends but blood is stronger but you can see the wheels turning in frangilla's head and she's like well i have i have one one chance of that and that's arturius so she goes to visit him and what he ends up doing is that is he ends up like downplaying everything and you've been so foolish and then like he says that there are i mean one of his one of his contingents or his qualifications for her like being accepted back at aratusa is her apologizing which i guess she could live with but she has to apologize for even thinking that she could make an influence on nilfgaard and that is horrifying and then he says that there are people who are obsessed with power and there are people who know their place and frangilla has always known which one she is yeah. Just the idea. He, she's like, whoa. Her face is like, excuse me? Yeah, yeah. That this, this woman who, like, we know why power is so important to her and we know why control and influence is so important to her. To not even have to throw it away, but also to confess that she was wrong to even want that is, like, a really straight line for me to all of her actions following and and, and the deal that she made with Volofmir. And It's really kind of yeah. sad that she and Francesca kind of it goes so fast that she neither of them can see the the jaws of the trap really closing because I think they at a certain point they think they've gotten away with it. <laughs> yeah, they they haven't. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't. <laughs> it's, cra- it's, it's, it's crazy because you see Frangilla trying to make these moves, but then you never feel like she's on equal footing as someone like okay here, okay here gets the ladder and all this stuff is happening, and you're like oh shit. And now she's essentially going to Artorius to kind of get permission for some of these actions she wants to get put out there and she's got I me mean, <laughs> you're nowhere yeah. near a mirror you don't want to fuck around you'll get killed yeah he's very he's, he kind of represents the the old guard that is inflexible that doesn't adapt to the new situation i really don't see artorius being important later if not just straight up dead like yeah. maybe he'll, <laughs> he'll i can see him dying next season or at least just being ousted from power because he's just not keeping up with he's not the right man for these times these changing times he's showing that yeah <laughs> i think with what we mm. saw in episode eight someone being very unhappy at the situation and there there could be a thinning out of mages and sorcerers sorcerers next season <laughs> yeah for reasons like this the ones who aren't gonna mm. who are in the way of the people who have power are going to get uh, <laughs> Pushed out of the way and the pushing. My could be way or the violent. highway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pushed, killed. <laughs> yeah. Forced, whatever, whatever. Falling whatever out a works. window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Falling out of window, whatever it takes.
Lydia and Rience here. This is uh, a neat little scene, pretty short. It, it refers to another little moment from the books where he describes how he didn't have enough energy to escape. He had help escaping via portal, which is also what happens in the book. It's the same master that's helping. And he, of course, so he's clearly already being helped by their master, even though he hasn't gotten this face-to-face meeting that he wants, that he gets at the end of the season. So he gives up the vial. Right, just when Lydia, Lydia can only have a half face-to-face meeting, he gets his full face. Yeah. Oh! <laughs> that's all right. Good one. That is a very oh, good Oh, wow. You're, you're pretty ruthless <laughs> Holy oh, shit. Pretty good. Yeah, so Lydia loses her face, so or half of it anyway. This is a pretty neat, slight restructuring of, of the books, where Lydia has also lost her face from some like ancient artifact. I forget. It wasn't something like plot relevant it was just something that happened way back if i remember correctly although i think it was something she was doing for her master it's still it was definitely still it like was in, his in, fault. yeah yeah it was still kind of his fault or like something she was doing for him they just slightly they just move that around instead of it happening off page like before the books they have it happen right here and that's cool that seems to make sense except for it being horrific to look at it's it's cool <laughs> her and Rianne are matching yeah. now I mean, yeah they're their team messed up face that's that's team definitely that's the good kind guys. of person <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> One of them got blood burn on the face. The other got regular burn on the face from, you know, alcohol. Although I guess to be fair, I mean, <laughs> facial scars are a thing that will become something that heroines and heroes and villains alike all have from the series. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's that funny because Lydia is like one of those characters who you don't like her because she's so bossy and just, I know everything, blah, blah, blah. And like, that's just not, not the greatest. And then we find out how terrible Reigns is and that's, that's whatever. Yeah. But there's still something, <laughs> and, and it's her, it's pretty much her fault. I mean, she's just, oh, I want to, I want to do the, I want to breathe in this horrible, you know, poison concoction of blood. But it's, it's a little bit like, okay, test it first or something. I don't know. But it's just still very pathetic. I don't know. Seeing her at the end is, is like, you, you just feel bad for yeah. I did feel yeah. bad. Yeah. And the way it's it's filmed also, like where she's like shrieking on the floor and and, and Rance is just kind of sitting there. He's like, yeah. that's unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> no sympathy, just yeah. curiosity. Hmm, well, how does this affect my plans? Yeah. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. He's a little more crazy than her, I think. Yeah, he doesn't have much sympathy for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> the northern kingdom of redania yeah i love this line i almost put it in the funny moments but that's dominated by jaskier so but this line is when dijkstra's telling him about vilgefortz vizimir's like who <laughs> he's just playing gwent i guess there <laughs> he's just playing solitaire <laughs> gwent or something and and he says he says who and dijkstra because he's not an idiot doesn't say what i would have said which is dude you just met Vilgefortz at the execution ceremony like he was the guy that yeah. gave the speech he's the new head of the council of wizards come on man pay attention <laughs> so it's not he really should know who Vilgefortz is but this, so this is a pretty telling about Vizimir being not just disengaged but not very bright either which I think we knew that already but it was it was a pretty funny way to, to show that I like that scene <laughs> and, and and Dijkstra usually a, a very calculated accurate information giver makes a mistake Mm-hmm. He does. He does make and a mistake. It's, a big it's interesting. One. Yeah, he he believes Sisea hasn't told uh, Vilgefortz about Siri. It's a reasonable guess because he believes in her level of 
trust and, and wouldn't reveal that secret, or maybe she would understand the consequences. But yeah, she's definitely has heart eyes for Vilgefortz and has fully drank the Kool-Aid or whatever you want to say and, and is definitely doing that. But uh, even heart though eye, he... Heart eyes emoji, mm-hmm. yeah. And he even thinks that... He even susses out other aspects of it. He even thinks she lets relationships cloud her judgment. But he's got it wrong. He he misunderstood which relationship would cloud her judgment. He thought that she would keep it a secret because of her relationship with Triss. So she's like, oh, that friendship is the one he's thinking of. But no, it's the, the relationship with Vilgefortz is, is the one that's clouding her judgment even more. And he also points out, this time he's right. He says Stregobor is going to take advantage of this this clouding of her judgment. And, and he's, he's right about that. Yeah, I also think that there's a little bit of a double meaning to Dijkstra saying, oh, she lets relationships cloud her judgment because we'll see at a later point that he's not exactly not doing that either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. By any other feathery factors is I think that's a great thing to have included throughout the series. It's something that I give both Sapkowski a lot of credit for putting it in there originally and Lauren Hisrich for carrying the theme forward, even if she changes a lot of the way it's executed, which is everyone has this. Yeah. Everyone has relationships that if they're exploited like we have strong feelings for somebody that we have bias for, like extreme bias for someone that we love or our family or our child. Literally everyone has something. Life. Yeah. And, and so that's just true. So if you're in politics, you're not different in that regard. I mean, you're, the specific details are different from person to person. But yeah, everyone has those weaknesses, right? Mm. Yeah, it's just the feet of clay thing. It's, it's even the, the, the top spy master on the continent can have this weakness that he could suss out easily in other people, but is completely insensible to in himself. Yeah, he's got a little ego about it. He's like, I'm immune to this. No, he's I'm so aware of it that I'm immune to it. No, being aware of it is doesn't make you immune <laughs> to it. So but maybe helps a little bit, but maybe not in your case. But yeah, but I like that because it just keeps the like high, there's high magic in this story all over the place. But this is a very human normal human i don't know i don't even want to know if you want to call it flaw it gets exploited like a flaw a lot in in power games that you see in in high level political stories which is also kind of true to life so i like that i like that it keeps the human aspects very there is a sense of realism there which is nice considering this is a fantasy world right he tries to say hey like relationships aren't perfect and there are people out there who will do bad things and there are people who are gonna fuck up in their relationships so it <laughs> yeah. is interesting to see all those dynamics for sure he's great and sapkowski is a master at that Zemir doesn't recognize why this chaos is good for them he's like this is all chaotic blah 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 and, and dijkstra's like still holding his hand yeah that's Remember, we're trying to take this place over. Can't you see why chaos there would be good for us? Come on, yeah. man. Like, seriously, put down to say, the cards yeah. for a minute. <laughs> He's trying to say that, that the stabilization is good. But Vizimir's kind of not that smart. He doesn't get it. It's, this is really basic, man. Yeah. <laughs> this guy is real dumb. <laughs> I don't think he's long for the world, to be honest, but we can discuss that. Well, that's the thing. You're right. You're right, except for that. That's part of why some people really like him because he's not a strong leader, because he's a dummy, because he's easily distracted. Like the real powers behind the throne, they like that. You know what I mean? Like they oh, can. I, 
You're right, but that's that's also you why never... somebody else would kill him because they don't want them to have an easy way with the king. <laughs> so it, you're, you're it, totally it, right. I'm just saying it is kind of funny because Dijkstra is this elite spy master, like Varus level, and then you got this like incompetent king. So it's kind of this awesome dynamic. You're like, well, Dijkstra is definitely more competent than this guy, but this guy is the ruler, and he has to somehow make it work. So yeah, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Like Dijkstra <laughs> has to put in extra work. It's <laughs> great. On to Sintra, then, since we're talking about yeah. the bedlam he's created there. Good segue to move back on there. Uh, More Frangilla and Kay here. Another really strong scene between them. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. They're they're arguing over troop loyalty, and Hake's got a point here. He's, look, they didn't show up for drill this morning, and... They're like, eh, you know, they were partying last night. Like, that doesn't fly with soldiers. No military I've ever heard of is like, yeah, nah, sorry, give us a break, Sergeant. We were partying last night. Like, what? <laughs> Hake is a, is a terrible guy, and he gets murdered later, and I shed, no tears were shed. But he's got a point here that, like, you can't do this kind of thing. You got, like, if we're, if we're going to be a military, if we're going to be an army, if we're going to be allies, this is, you can't just whimsically move on i mean to be fair it's a pivotal cultural moment they they deserve some celebration yeah. k here understands that but he also says, look hake is a little hard-handed here one time it's okay but if it happens over another it's it is sedition he's maybe pushing this too hard but he's kind of got a point so even k here is look frangilla he's kind of and she's yes i know you know <laughs> so. yeah but i mean hake it also has vested interest in not wanting the el and wanting the elves to be insubordinate because he doesn't think this whole That's thing true. is going to work anyway. Whereas Kahir is kind of like, I don't think it's going to work, but try and help you, I guess. I don't know, the, the relationship between Kahir and Frangilla is really interesting because they're probably at their most, like, synchronous, I feel like, in this episode. They don't fight that much, I guess. They, they are really, like, snapping at each other in, in a lot of the other episodes. And this is, this is, Kahir's kind of trying to talk to Frangilla on her level, which she, you know, reads as extremely condescending yeah. which it is but but like <laughs> yeah, you you get definitely. the sense that he understands some of what she's going for well he, i don't think he can be completely honest with her either because he knows more than her especially since he's in contact with amir and stuff like but there there is some sense of honesty here where he was a little bit less maybe honest with her and trying to kind of figure out what the situation was actually going on before because he was gone so i feel like but yeah, I mean, the elves, they've been pushed out of their lands for a long time and they feel entitled. So I, I kind of I kind of see why Kahir sees it as a problem, you know, or at least how he, he perceives how it could be. And yeah, yeah. And of course, he had at the end of the last episode. We talked about how he really understood pretty well the dynamics of this child's birth and how it could wreck their alliance and how that really needed to be controlled and this is part of that he's look don't let them get too far let them have their moment but don't let them drift away or else everything you're trying to build here is going to fall apart and we have a uh, hake executing an elven woman and makes dar very angry so we're starting to see those splinters happen that conflict that we can that we can see kind of coming from a mile away yeah that's mccall what mccall was saying kind of he's pushing the issue a bit there he's nervous about all these random people coming into town and he's right like he this is not the right response to it but he's like anyone one of these people could be a spy and Dara I mean yep that's a spy so <laughs> but that's it's just not feasible to stop a spy from getting in anyway it's, it's a town full of people it's a huge capital city what are you gonna do control every single person like it's unreasonable to stop a determined spy from getting in in the first place so that's part of the flaw in that argument it's, it really is just kind of paranoid yeah, after, me 
many years and, of reading fantasy, yeah. I've learned that uh, smart leaders don't try and <laughs> stop the fact that there are going to be spies. They just try and manage what information they have access to. Yeah, definitely. You play. You I play. The, 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 the information gets controlled. You pinch off the information farther up the chain mm-hmm. than that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or they or they spread false information to yeah. yes. find the spies to find the no, leaks. Yes, I do point. need to say yeah. that Dara has a conversation in the hallway. About his spy. Not a professional spy. Yeah, yeah. recruited. He's bad at his yeah. job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was recruited for this job, but he's not. It's kind of like, how can we tell if there are spies in Sintra? Like, yeah. so like, he's, he's, I don't he's know. Hank, like, listen. Like, <laughs> someone yeah. talking to an owl on the windowsill. Like, Dara, if if this story was from Dara's point of view, the whole thing, like, he would be. He's a kid of destiny. Like, he. <laughs> Happens on Siri. He happens like he becomes the spy, Redanian spy. He's the guy that talks to Phil Evandrel and Francesca about all this stuff. He's right there in the front lines when they go to kill all the children. Like, he's just there for everything. <laughs> it's pretty, it would actually be a pretty good story from his point of view. Like, I'm, I'm impressed at how this character went from, like, some, from rat boy that we, I kind of thought we'd never see again to pretty... Important character, and I, I, I like him. I think he's a good character. Like, I, the, maybe it's a little contrived how he keeps being part of these things, but this, this world is established that destiny is a thing. So I could call you could just call it that, and I'm satisfied. Yeah, I mean, so, I think from a yeah. story perspective, it's good to give us a character who is going to be like an, an ground level point of view on what the elves are doing and the, their their desperation, and we'll we'll certainly talk about some of that soon, but. Yeah, he's, I think he's going to be heavily involved in that. Also, I need to say that Kahir is very much bringing, like, the Zuko from Avatar. Like, I need to find the Avatar. I need to find Cirilla. <laughs> uh, Avatar, one of the best it shows is. of all time. I have to say, yeah. So one of, the, one of the real tragedies here is just how... A recurring tragedy is how bias over events is kind of related to what we were talking about a few minutes ago about seeing what you want to see or being kind of not self-aware, being aware but not self-aware. Like we used the example about about Dijkstra and, and bias within himself because when this child is born, they're all fill, filled with hope and this hope kind of blinds them to what K here noticed and what M here noticed from a distance clearly and, and what Deathless Mother realized well in advance is that how much this child will mean is going to create so much hope. Shattering that hope will, A, feed Deathless Mother, which none of these people are aware of, but B, make the elves an even stronger ally of Nilfgaard than they ever were. And they're just oblivious to that. If they think about this at all, if Phil Evandrel or Francesca thought about that, they would realize it. They would realize what is at stake here and how at risk their child is. And they certainly are blind when they're like, "Uh, we're not really interested anymore. We're going to leave. They're totally blind to that. Like, Nilfgaard is not just going to let you walk away from this deal, <laughs> you know? But they are just, nope, we've got, this is what we have to do for our culture now. They're, they have a strong new focus, but they're blind <laughs> to the reality of, of how far away they are from, like, the, the roadblocks in their way to being able to put, implement yeah, that. Yeah, and that's part of the tragedy of this friendship, right? Because it's Fringilla is given the information to potentially destroy them and she ultimately doesn't use it but somebody does yeah it's a really powerful moment first of all there's there's really good intertwined 
just miniature details. Like the kid is named Fiona, like you said earlier. It's we didn't get another F name, but she's born of Rhiannon. Remember, Lara Doran's child was Rhiannon, and Rhiannon had Fiona, <laughs> so this is the same name. And Siri's full name is Cyrilla Fiona Ellen Rhiannon. So there's all the names are in there, and it's it's just a nice reminder of all these people are related. They're, the really well done directing, I guess we call it, or editing, when they show as Yennefer invokes Deathless Mother with the sword at her neck, she says the words, the baby dies in that moment. Basically, they discover the dead baby, Fiona, and Deathless Mother is laughing and feeding because, of course, that's obviously a great thing for her. A, a child's death is something she can feed on. What's a, It's hard to imagine greater pain than that. So... I thought it was really well done. As dark as it is, it was like, whew, that was good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, mirror, the, the mirroring was really good. Yeah. Because it showed the different situations, right? Which is good. Yeah, it was solid. Speaking of pain, we go to this dinner scene massacre. It just keeps coming with the <laughs> with the damn moments. Like, I, I did not see anything like this coming. This was one of the most shocking scenes of the season. I get it. It makes sense. I'm like, yep, you go, Fringilla. This makes sense. These are these people are trying to bring you down. They're not going to stop. They're in, in your way. And that's how Nilfgaard operates. And whoa. And it's we another moment about, yeah. for the Deathless Mother, right? She's feeding off of this. Just think about that. They're paralyzed. They can't move, but they can still think. That, that terror that they're feeling, Deathless Mother is just like, rah, yes, give me we, more. We talked about like how privately like demons feed on fear. Throughout history, it's written like demons feed on fear and like, all these emotions that are qualified with fear. And then we're like, okay, what are some of these emotions that people are feeling? Terror? Okay, that's a strong one for the Deathless Mother to feed off. I can't imagine being paralyzed and getting some something stabbed in my neck would bring me very good, a very good feeling. I mean, so, I, I still think a lot of it is pain, like. That just just going to what Yennefer says, like it's her sticking her fingers into like your deepest, most painful thing, and like the, it's that level of pain that really powers her. But not physical, right, like exactly. emotional pain, like the ultimate. Yeah. Emotional so pain I mean, I would I would make an argument that is somewhat text based, not entirely. Some of it's me making it up, but I I <laughs> feel like this scene, as cool and unconcerned as Francesca is, as Frangilla is, I feel like it might be bothering her because mm. like i agree like there's a lot of pain coming from you know the people she's murdering <laughs> and she didn't want to do this yeah it's a last yeah, resort that's a yeah, good point and I, I, we haven't quite seen her be this ruthless in a while and i think the fact that she's driven to this by the loss of or what she perceives as the loss of her friendship with francesca and the loss of her support with arturius however much she could actually expect from of that she did like she's left with this She's backed into a corner. You know, people make desperate choices when they're backed into corners. Theme of the episode. Yeah, she's pretty alone now. Yeah. yeah. So mm. I kind of, I don't know. I want to I wanna give her a little emotional credit and say that maybe this isn't as brutal as, uh, or I mean, it is brutal, but but internally she is feeling a little more. She might be suffering while yeah, doing exactly. it. Which Voth, with Deathless Mother's like, oh yeah, double, t- double yeah. trouble. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> My favorite flavor. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. I like that. It's compelling. It's 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 in that in that sense that even the people causing the pain are suffering too, which is a very it's a really deep statement on 
on harm amidst from humans to yeah. each other. Like we we harm each we harm ourselves and we harm others and hurt people. Yeah. Hurt people. Don't feed deathless mother. Don't be. I, yeah. <laughs> I see an amazing comment in chat. Frangilla pulls a Zach Morris timeout when he like stops time. Like so good. <laughs> Saved by the Bell and The Witcher. Never thought we would get a comparison of those two. You never you never know where where podcasters surprise is going to go. Surprise. Yeah. Surprise. <laughs> I have a couple of quick Herblore notes that are a good segue to the Temple of Melitoli scene, which happens much earlier in the episode, but we haven't talked about yet. First of all, Nightshade. We discussed it earlier in the Bounds of Reason episode. It came up before under a different name, Belladonna. Of course, that's one of the things we like to do is mention all the different names these things have. I'm sure I named other things there. It's medicine, poison, cosmetic. It sounds badass. It sounds deadly, and it is. So it's cool to use it. It kind of worked out that way, like... <laughs> it sounds cool, and it is actually deadly. One of the deadliest herbs that actually that exists. Poison-tipped yeah. arrows are, are are in antiquity were used that way a lot, and it is sweet. So it actually is w- well used in terms of real-world details in this scene because she says that the sweetness is disguised because they're drinking mead and all that. So yeah, well done, well done. But that's all I have. It tastes so sweet, but it feels so awful. <laughs> yeah, and, and it is a paralytic. That's that's accurate somewhat, too. It's more likely to kill you. There's yeah. animals that it's... But it can be used for, as an heart, anesthetic. Right? Yeah. It's like rabbits, though. Like, rabbits are immune to it. Rabbits can just gobble up all the nightshade they want. It's like, huh. Hmm. <laughs> well gone. Rabbits, well done, <laughs> rabbits. <laughs> it's like... Uh, it's like uh... Koalas, right? Isn't what they eat basically poisonous? But eucalyptus. Yeah. Yes, eucalyptus is very toxic, and they just like... And it's also low in nutrition, it's koalas. I could talk about them, but that would really be, really be off topic, even for Maybe me. Maybe they'll be in the uh, Blood Origin series. We'll have some koalas yeah. we can talk about. Koala, koala monsters. Yeah, they need some like monster version, like basilisk koalas. Uh, yeah. Basilisk koalas. One word. Basilisk koala. Well, we we, uh, we head back to the Temple of Melitele, which has one of my favorite funny moments of the episode. She's because like, one of their yeah, major uh, points of interaction in in the short story, which it, the name is slipping my mind. Voice, Voice of reason. reason. There you go. Yeah. So she, I want to leave, and she's your neck is gaping open. <laughs> I need to heal you. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Like, so it's the, the typical stubborn yeah, man trope. Like, oh, men don't go to therapy. Men don't yeah, get healed yeah, either. Yeah. Men would rather <laughs> hunt their girlfriend down across the continent to hold a sword in her face than go to therapy. So, but Geralt does uh, make a pretty interesting discovery. It's a kind of a neat little clever under the radar moment here. He noted he finds Redanian crowns on the bodies, but these assassins were sent by Rience's master, the same person Lydia's working for, not Redania. <laughs> so it's another like misdirection attempt. First of all, assassins don't normally carry clinking coins into their operations with them. That's just rookie level stuff. So that's why it's one. I could see someone looking at the scene and being like, ah, this is just poor writing. But no, it's intentionally meant as misdirection like that to to show to cast blame on a, de- a party that's not involved at all. This has nothing to do with Dijkstra, but it, it's yeah. just, now it looks like it does. <laughs> and, Ger- and Geralt is really wise. He's been in quite a few different situations. He's eh, this doesn't really make a lot of sense. You know what I mean? <laughs> a fire mage burst, bursting in like that. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we know that Nilfgar definitely wants Siri. Okay, Redania. All of a sudden, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So this this scene is pretty brief because most of the temple stuff was last episode, and it ends with Geralt 
saying portal me to a place that turns out to be Jaskier, and that makes us happy. <laughs> <laughs> and just like Jaskier himself, he needs to vent, but he is also happy. <laughs> this is uh, definitely uh, Mikal's favorite moment of yes. the season. <laughs> I've watched this scene several times. <laughs> you know, in my heart. Well, go yeah, on, Mikal. Let's it's hear good. it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so great. It's just so great. Jaskier is... I mean, first of all, the, I found... The reason he's in prison is so stupid. It's, like, hilariously stupid. Like, looking into the thing where they're keeping Yennefer prisoner, and they're like, you're a peeping Tom, you're going to jail, and it's just so Yaskier and hilarious. Like, he's thrown in prison for being a peeping Tom at the woman they're intending to execute. Like, I, it doesn't, yeah, it's very... <laughs> out of all the crimes, out of, like, he's, like, smuggling refugees, and all of a sudden he's like, oh, yeah, exactly. Tom, gotcha. <laughs> Meanwhile, Yennefer's fully dressed. I mean, and then she vanishes. Like, what? There's not even right. someone in there. There's no woman in there. Like, there's no one. Yeah, there. but the fact that he's made friends with the rats, and I'm not sure how much, some degree of that I think was ad-libbed. I'm not sure how much, but I think some of his his dialogue with the rats, which is funny to say. But yeah. <laughs> what is that? What is that? He's such, he's so He is, and he, he keeps time, there. and he's, yeah, he's just really... Obviously, uh, most of these roles are really well cast, but like just Joey B yeah. is just so he is yeah, it's, it's so <laughs> perfect. And yeah, and then the fact that he keeps singing while Geralt's beating up the dude and does not even <laughs> hear, you know, like what's going on out there. He's really focused on his music as yeah. usual. He's and then yeah. he gets locked in. <laughs> yeah, when he sees Geralt, it's just like the sweetest because we've had we've had a lot of great reunions and and obviously the Yennefer and Yaskier stuff was wonderful also but this is just that cathartic moment of ah oh, you were so mad at each other and now you're bros again but not in a way that like we're letting totally go of everything that happened where you have to deal with that and yeah it's it's awesome I'm glad Geralt gave like a straight apology yeah. like he's like, I'm sorry like straight up but also it's but it's also nice like he as they're talking through it Right. Geralt admits he was wrong about Siri way back, that ignoring destiny wasn't helpful or not good. And and then Jaskier kind of figures out he's like, oh, Yennefer was lying about not having powers like she vanished. Of course, she has powers. That is what it's going to look like, to be fair. But he admits mm-hmm. that people say stupid things when they're under pressure, which, hey, theme we've been discussing. So he does give her a little bit of benefit of the doubt. And he also says, hey, yeah, friends come back and you came back. And that's true. So I like, yeah. I like, really I was good. like, look at my boots. I slid down that mountain. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's interesting. I thought to myself and, you know, thought I might ask this question to Jat and you guys. What would you do if you were in the end situation? Would you do the same thing to get your powers back? Like, I was thinking about it. I'm like... This is a really tough thing because that's a lot of power, right? All of us would say we wouldn't kill a child if we were actually that person and could get away with it in secret. (laughs) I I, I would always say I won't, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, hopefully not, but there's there's a lot of factors that go into. (laughs) Like survival? Yeah, well, um, there's also something which I was bringing up in other episodes, but that Yennefer has been holding out against this for a long time. And I mean, long in like six episodes, but she's really been. ignoring Volthmir a lot and like she only finally mm. caves at the end of episode six and i think that's part of it too like i think some of it she's just tired and also she saw the elf child being like elf children rounded up she so yeah. i think there's a case to be made that it's yeah if i if i sacrifice one child i can save hundreds more and that that would be tempting the song of right? fire bell, won't we? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> what is one child <laughs> against the kingdom? Yeah, I mean, that is what she's yeah. trying to, like, in her mind, she's wrestling with that concept, I think. It's not just about and her she power. She knows about Alvin history, too, like, that they basically got wiped out and pushed to the ends of the earth. So it's... Oh, and when she sees that happening, this isn't yeah. good. She knows. And then we get an, another nice reunion, guys. Right, it's yeah. it's actually, I kind of missed it, how neat this moment is. Just as Jaskier is kind of opining on how friends come back. Boom, friends came back. Yeah, <laughs> guys we may not have thought about in a while, and there they are. Yeah, so I like that. It was such a great, it was one of my favorite moments of the season for sure. Yeah, it was cool to see them just say, hey, you guys are here. We'll, we got to get them in. Well, I'm sure they'll be back again later. Gerald gets a new, gets a new horse. <laughs> yeah, he does, doesn't he? <laughs> He's not my usual type, but you'll do. <laughs> that was that like a, a male horse? Is that the idea? Was that a stallion? I guess he, he likes mares. Now, there was quite a few funny moments in this episode. Yeah. They're not. <laughs> Yaskier really went off. Like, he's got more than half of the funny lines. But not all of them. Not all of them. Just most of them. His first one was, good, sir. You would not know talent if I shoved it up your Geralt. <laughs> <laughs> if I shoved it up your Geralt. So for people who really love the vague queer references between the two of them, that's one of them right there. <laughs> thousand meme <laughs> ships were launched oh yeah not not to mention like seeing how ripped joey Beatty is it's like that dude is every bit as like buff as henry cavill yeah i miss <laughs> i miss string bean uh, joey Beatty. i'm not gonna lie but he's not as listen. big as henry cavill but he's... oh henry henry they had to get new they had to literally get a new piece of henry's so jacked yeah to get new armor like he's he's one of those guys you i meant like relatively builders. speaking oh yeah okay but <laughs> <laughs> Joey looks good. I'll yeah. just say that. His hair and mouse, but everything else, yes. You could hang portraits off my nipples right now. <laughs> that was really yeah, good. So good. Or that other line, a little bit of uh, alliteration. He says, "You bet your bloated biceps." <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, it's also cringy, but it's it's it, it's so bad that but he's he good, he delivers you know I mean? it so tongue in no, not tongue in cheek. Like he's totally. Y this is what Yaskier would say. And not no talent if I shoved it up your Geralt. Like, that's an, a line that only works on delivery. I mean, not that it's, it's a good yeah. line, but it, it, it is made excellent by its delivery. Usually when he's saying this stuff, is he's too honest for his own good. Like, beneath all that raging yeah. hair, she's got a lot of hair, that woman. <laughs> right. like, like, he's always saying something that shouldn't really probably be said out loud, you know what I mean? Yeah, he's just got that stream of consciousness where it's just constant creativity, but also sarcasm and snark. And sometimes they it's, it's a recurring theme where they just like, dude. Focus and he's okay. I'm focused, and then he really is. Then he's like all in, like he's he's brave and into it and doing the right stuff. But yeah, he gets off tr off track. <laughs> Has to be like smack him in the face, dump cold water on him, something like that. Man, refocus. He's like, oh yeah, sorry, but he I, he is a future as like on comic movies and some some sitcom. Maybe we'll cast him or something. He's yeah. <laughs> and then Jaskier saying uh, to dwarven food, talent recognizes talent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's standing there when they're like Yarpin and Geralt are talking and and Jasker's just in the background like he grabs a bowl of food, they're still talking, he like looks at, it, he sniffs it. He's not the camera's not on him, but he's just there in the background doing this whole thing while they're having this really important conversation. And then at one point he takes a bite and then he just like ah, it just falls back into the bowl. 
funny. It's also like the, the dwarves are so spectacularly disinterested in him. It's just no Geralt, and, yeah. and it's it's kind it's happened to him a couple times in the season too, where he's like, "Oh, I'm really okay. Well, I'm they really don't care. Not that important." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> poor, poor ass scared man, and he's feeling it too. He's kind of feeling himself because he's like Geralt left me, and you know it's like he's wallowing in his own pity. Well, uh, to to say has a great comeback to Stragabor when they have the moment where he's tilting about the birth of the baby Fiona. Tissaia says, only you could see a threat where everyone else sees a baby. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, good one. Of course, that is not just a baby, but yeah. And then one of the very endearing moments that's just intended to set up tragedy for baby Fiona is when they're choosing the name Fiona. Phil Evangel says, what about the name Kynwin? And she's like, Kynwin? Absolutely not. I had a cousin named Kynwin. She ate her own hair. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, that's so sad. Not the eating hair. That's funny. But the where this all goes, <laughs> like they're all jo- they're laughing about the baby name. And then, oh, <laughs> yeah. So one other fun moment here. My last note for the episode is we're using some new transcription software. And this sounds like the beginning of an ad, but it's not. <laughs> it, it, it has created some funny moments with the transcription coming out wrong. Occasionally they, they make sentences that are not at all what we actually said, but the words take on their own meaning. And occasionally it's not just gibberish, it's funny. And in this case, it took one of my lines from two episodes ago and it said, I mean, of course, obviously I love the Lord. That's well established. You guys do too. And the transcript, it even wrote it with a capital L, like the Lord, you know, God. Very respectful. <laughs> it turned us all into. Yeah. You love the lore. You love yeah. the lore, right? The lore, yeah. It's supposed to be the lore, like the lore, Witcher lore, herb lore, yeah. So thanks, transcription software. You've all made us devout Christians, apparently, without our consent. So hmm, thanks for that. And then when McCall was reading the Prophecy of Ithlin, the transcription software took this one part of it and wrote, The world will diamonds frost and be reborn at the new sun. Reborn of algebra. (laughs) It's a new world of math. (laughs) Reborn of algebra. No, not algebra. What's next? Calculus? I would never say that. Four horsemen algebra. That's going to do it for our coverage of Season 2, Episode 7 of The Witcher. That's right. Thanks to Mara, monthly supporters, Mara, Ryan, uh, Rhett uh, Crisman. It's so hard not to call you Rhett Crimson, Rhett Crisman, but (laughs) it's really, it's cool. Uh, Cat Ovivas, Alejandro Martinez, James Gannon, Barry Samuel Watson, Lucas Mees, Robert B. L.C. and Amy Blackfire. Appreciate your support. Um, We will keep them coming. Bye.